Uh, once again, we'll be looking at uh, verses 12 through 14. Hear God's Word. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Father, grant us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. Help us to know the riches of your grace and your wisdom. Help us to believe what you say to us. Help us to do what you tell us to do, building our house upon the rock. Use this time and these words to accomplish your great purposes in us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. It was one of those events in life that kind of stands out like a sore thumb. One of those moments that you wish never had happened in your life. And uh, I was working in Boston at the time, and while I was working in Boston, I would commute via the train. So the train um, only comes at certain stated times, and I was running late. And in fact, I was running. <laughs> running through the streets of Boston. My usual uh, traveling companion was not with me that day, and so uh, I'm, I'm running furiously down the sidewalk, um, trying to make my way to the north station of Boston. And almost like out of the blue suddenly appears this man in my face. And I remember just kind of coming up you know, short and almost running him over. And what it was was a homeless man who wanted some money for dinner or whatever. I'm not sure exactly what. But I, being in the incredible rush that I was in, said, sorry, don't have time for this now, and dashed around him. What a great example I was that moment. But I remember, you know, making, finally getting to the, uh, the train, getting, barely making it onto the train in time, um, for my commute home. And it was then, as I sat and I started, started to breathe normally, finally, that my brain began to think. And my brain began to think of Matthew 25 and the, the sermon, or the, the, uh, parable of the sheep and the goats. And my, man, my mind began to think about Michael Card's song, Distressing Disguise, how Jesus sometimes appears to us in ways we don't expect, and it kind of connected with what Jesus is saying in the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I was like, did I just pass on by Jesus in his distressing disguise? I was too busy with my own agenda at that moment to pause and perhaps show compassion to a man in need. Now, I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe it was like today where I don't really carry cash, so I couldn't have done anything anyway. I have no idea. Although I guess I could have brought him to a restaurant and bought him dinner. But nonetheless, I didn't stop. I moved on with my life. The big idea this morning is that Christ shows compassion to us and through us. Let's start with compassion and kindness, that they connect with people's needs. 
We've, uh, of course, remember, we're, we've already looked at all the things we shouldn't do, so to speak. Uh, you know, as we look at sanctification here in Colossians, and now we're beginning to look at the things that we're supposed to put on. And what you'll notice is, uh, in this particular case anyway, it's not laws, it's not rules, but it's character traits. That does not mean that there's no place for God's law for the Christian, just that this is what Paul is talking about. And what's uh, incredibly important for us to remember as we think of these things in the next couple of weeks is that just as those sins destroyed community, so these virtues build community. They're essential for a healthy, functioning church. So that's why we're here. Okay. The first two character traits that are listed here, the uh, kindness and... Uh, compassionate hearts. These two character traits uh, are very closely related. The first one that he mentions, the compassionate hearts, is actually a figurative use of the word that is literally bowels. The organs down in here kind of seem strange to us, I think, in many ways, uh, but they're talking about you know the, the bowels of compassion from the deep this of who you are, uh, you know, kind of feeling empathy for another human being. I'm not sure if it's connected with the idea that sometimes when we're in a tense situation, you know, our bowels kind of get all anxious and stuff. You know, we feel physiologically changes within us. And so maybe it's that idea of, of taking those physiological changes and, and putting them into an emotional sense. I'm not really sure exactly why they decided to use this term, and this way, and yet they do. The bowels were seen as an organ of feeling and emotion. And so in this context, it really refers to, can refer to affection and love as well as pity or compassion. So that's the first of these two words. The second one, kindness, is pretty clear to us in some ways. But it's from a root word that means to lament or regret another's misfortune. And so it really is directly tied to this idea of, of not just kindness in general, but kindness towards someone who's in need, someone who finds themselves in difficult circumstances, sort of like that guy who jumped in front of my face on the streets of Boston that day. Both of these words overlap in their meaning to a large degree in Scripture. In fact, we see this in the parable that we read from Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. As you may have remembered, if you were listening, uh, as Dick read along, that what was really at issue was, what must I do? Okay, That's what the young man was asking. And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And he answered correctly, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, instead of Jesus saying, as he probably should or could have, um, well, actually, instead of the the young man saying, as he should have, I failed to do this. <laughs> what now? I'm in trouble. He actually, as the text says, tries to justify himself. Who's my neighbor? So the context here is love, initially. And as Jesus tells this story of uh, the, this man who has been robbed and beaten and left essentially for dead on the side of the road, we see that two, two words are used to describe this love. And these words are the fact that he had compassion on this man and the fact that he showed mercy.
toward this man. It's these words. What's significant about this is, of course, Jesus is pointing that the religious leaders of the day, he mentions them, they see the man and they kind of walk on the other side of the road, sort of like I did. They had their own agenda. They didn't want to be bothered. They didn't want to be made unclean because they're going to come in contact with these bodily fluids because this man has been beaten. He's bloody. Okay? They don't want this to interfere with their responsibilities. And so they they kind of just keep going. But it's the Samaritan, the one that everyone looks down upon if you're a good Jew. It's the Samaritan who stops. It's the Samaritan who is inconvenienced. It is the Samaritan who has compassion, whose heart goes out to this man and doesn't just go, oh, I feel so bad for you, but binds him up, brings him to an inn, pays the man money to take care of him until he's well enough to go on his way. And so initially there is this emotional response, but the, the response doesn't stop there. It compels him into action. Okay, he stopped that agenda. He became unclean as he touches the man's wounds. He probably spent a good deal of money making sure he was housed and fed. This was not, I give you the change in my pocket. This is compassion. Not only was the good Samaritan concerned, but he acted according to his means. He did what he could with what he had in accordance with the circumstances that he met. And so compassion and kindness really move God's people to meet the needs of others. But let's step back for a minute. Let us remember God's compassion and kindness to you in Christ. We are to put these traits on, as Paul says, precisely because of who God is. We are, in other words, we are to be compassionate, kind, and good precisely because God is compassionate, kind, and good. And not just in a theoretical sense, but he has been compassionate, kind, and good to us. In other words, we've experienced it. I hope you have experienced that. We see this clearly when we talk about salvation. Exodus, for instance. The great deliverance of God's people. How does Exodus begin? God heard the cries of his people and remembered his covenant. In other words, Exodus happens because God has compassion, shows pity towards his people who were enslaved. In Acts, when Peter meets Cornelius, and my community group is going to look at this later on today, What Peter says is that Jesus went about doing good. Meaning, he met people with needs. And as he could, he met those needs. He healed people who were sick. He raised up people who were dead. He fed the hungry. He did many things. In that phrase, he went about doing good. But even greater than that, We see from Titus chapter 3, 
Note the words that he uses, that Paul uses here. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, meaning Jesus, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Our salvation is not about what we owe, what we deserve, because we don't deserve salvation. We deserve judgment. And yet, God showed mercy. God displayed His goodness. God showed His loving kindness in salvation. Salvation comes uh, to undeserving people. People that God says were His enemies. So, part of me wonders, have we brought all our sin to receive the mercy of God? Sometimes do you hold back particular sins that you kind of like for a little while, you know? Are there things that you're just not ready to give to Jesus for forgiveness yet? That can happen to some of us sometimes. So we see that he shows his compassion and kindness to us in salvation in Christ. We also see that he shows it in comfort in the midst of affliction. In Isaiah, for instance, the Messiah's mission included restoring and healing people, particularly Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, My chosen, in whom my soul delights. And I love this phrase. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. The idea being that there is this person who is in affliction, who seemingly is almost ready to go out. And God does not snuff out that smoldering wick, but he brings new life to it. God does not break that reed that is bruised, but... He binds it so it stays together and so it heals. Just as we read in uh, Psalm 34, we see that idea that God binds the brokenhearted. It's not just there in Psalm 34, it's also Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. So not only is there the way in which we're saved that demonstrates his kindness and his compassion, but there's also the way in which he comes to us in our affliction and our brokenness, and he holds us together, and he heals us. Jesus ministers comfort to bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Not only does it say that in Isaiah 42, but Jesus in Matthew 10, sorry, Matthew 12, quotes that and says, this is what my ministry is about. This is part of who I am and why I am here. And so we could think of as well Psalm 116. Gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful. So there's a the compelling testimony of Scripture is about how compassionate and merciful is God. 
countering or, or you know, being in the balance with what we read earlier in our call to worship, that God is righteous and God therefore is indignant towards sin. But we also see his compassion towards sinners and especially toward his people. We're encouraged in First Peter, in fact, to bring that brokenness, those cares and troubles to him. Cast your anxieties or cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares about you and he cares for you. And so we're encouraged to bring these to him. Which, of course, makes me wonder, are we bringing our things to him? Are we bringing our struggles, our affliction, our sorrows? Are we doing, like as the psalmist does so many times, or are we just kind of sitting in the pity party? keeping it all to ourselves instead of going to the one person who can hold us together and restore us. The one person who binds the brokenhearted. Sam Storms notes, it is only when we confess and confront the pain in our lives that the fullness of Christ's consolation mediated through the merciful ministry of others, can do its work in our lives. And sometimes our pride, it keeps us from laying before others the the need that we have, the affliction that we experience. And what we really do is we hold ourselves back from receiving the consolation of Christ himself because of our pride. So we see it in salvation, we see it in comfort and affliction, we also see it in provision, that he provides for our needs. Just like he provided water and manna in the wilderness to the Exodus generation. God continues to do these things. And so often, unfortunately, what we do is we struggle with ingratitude, precisely because we forget his goodness that is at work in us. We're so good at seeing what we don't have that we can't see what we do have. I think of Psalm 34, an earlier part of that. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Don't run and hide. Don't try to do it at your own. Run, seek refuge in him, and you will find that he is good. Not just an abstract principle, but you will experience his goodness. Similarly, Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And you know what? That is the first and the last verse of that psalm. Everything else is meant to be seen in light of those things. It's precisely so that we will give thanks to the Lord knowing that He is good, that He's faithful, He's steadfast. We need not fear and be filled with the anxiety that often seems to overwhelm us. That's part of why I love this quote by Richard Sibbs, one of the old Puritans. Christ's sheep are weak, lacking in something or other. He therefore applies himself to the necessities of every sheep. 
In other words, it's not one size fits all with Jesus. He pays attention to the needs of every particular sheep that he has in his flock. And he's willing to come and minister to the particular needs of all of those sheep. He knows that we're weak. He does not despise us, but instead he embraces us. And sometimes we, we get this wrong notion sometimes that our weakness is something to be hidden. But God says that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. So we need to taste and see that God is good. And it's then that we're going to praise Him. Jonathan Edwards talks about it this way. It is not enough to to know intellectually that honey is sweet. It's not enough to be a good chemist and have the chemical formula that comprises honey and go, yes, I can see there's sugar in here. It must be sweet. What Edward says and what the, because of what the scripture says is, no, take the honey into your mouth and taste its sweetness. Taste its goodness. That's what we were to do to the Lord. Not just analyze him, but by faith we take him in and experience his goodness for ourselves experiential Christianity, as uh, Archibald Alexander and many others have called it. So, anyway. And so God's kindness and compassion are displayed in our salvation, our comfort, and our provision. So let's kind of move to the last part of this. We are to recognize opportunities to display His compassion and kindness. That command, ooh, that sticky command, put on refers, of course, the, to the, the picture of clothing, putting on particular clothing. As I said last week, we've already put on Christ. That's, our, that's the main thing that we're covered in, but uh, we sort of need some accessories, I guess. And these accessories are the virtues that we put on, sort of like I'm wearing a belt, I've got shoes and socks. They're not the most important things I'm wearing, but they're kind of important. Okay. The idea here is, is to incorporate these virtues into our lives so that they become essentially a part of us. Not something we take off and put on. It's something that we keep on. That's the idea. It's precisely because we have been united to Christ, who is compassionate and who is kind, that we will each become compassionate and kind. When it talks, when Paul earlier talks about we, we have been filled with Christ, in Christ, part of that fullness that we have received in Him is kindness and compassion. And so you might say, I don't have a whole lot of that. And I say to you, yes, you do. In Christ. You have access to that. Maybe by, by nature of your sinful heart and by experience and how you grew up or whatever, you may not by, find yourself to be a very kind person, but I tell you this, Christ can make you one. Don't sell the gospel short by your genetics or by your experience and psychology. Jesus is greater. We've been talking about how he's sufficient and supreme. He's sufficient to make you kind and compassionate. Indeed, he is, precisely because of your union with him. And as I was thinking about this, and you know, something always happens between Thursday and Sunday, 
and some, sometimes the changes are minor and sometimes the changes are huge. I was rushed on Thursday. If I preached this sermon on Thursday, it would have been worse than it is now. Um, but he, it unfolds as well through that, that threefold pattern I talked about, salvation, comfort, and provision. And so it unfolds in terms of salvation in that we speak to those who are in bondage to guilt, who are in bondage to shame, who, are, who feel condemned. We speak to them about the good news in Jesus Christ. We give them words of hope that Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Hey, he could save you too. And so that's part of being compassionate. And that's part of what, what sort of gets lost, I think, uh, at times, because we're, we have a, a rightful indignation about sin. Okay? That, that, that's, we should not like sin. <laughs> it, we should be indignant as God is indignant. And yet we also recognize that, that what that person needs at that moment is probably not a lecture, but the word of mercy in Christ. Yeah, that's wrong. But I tell you what, you can be forgiven of that. Christ died to save people like you and me who struggle with these problems. In addition to salvation, we also see comfort. Can't go anywhere without talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 1, can we? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, and here's the point, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by Christ. Meaning, you really can't comfort people until you have been comforted. And guess what? You have been in Christ. Doesn't matter if their affliction is the same as yours, you are able to offer them comfort precisely because God has comforted you. The grace He gives to you is meant to be given to someone else. You, you know, God doesn't always immediately, you know, directly give that comfort. A lot of times He gives it through someone else. And so, in this case, Paul is telling us. We receive this and we give this. That's God's economy, so to speak. It's extending the comfort that you have received from God, whether it was through people or directly from His Word. And so the question kind of comes up. I mean, right now, who do you know who needs that comfort? Who do you know that's in the middle of an affliction that needs someone? And here's the point as well. You know, we don't wait until we feel compassionate or kind. You know, it's not like something you're supposed to work up. Well, maybe if I go away and hide in my room long enough and pray long enough, I'll feel compassionate and I'll go and I'll act. You know, it's just, here's the need. Are you going to act compassionately or not? What does this look like to rise to the occasion? It could be as simple as a hug. Seeing a person struggling and just standing beside them and communicating that you're with them, that you empathize, that you care. It could be prayer with that person or apart from that person, but saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray for you and meaning it and laboring 
before the Father for them. Sharing a timely word of Scripture is one way that we can comfort people. Listening over a cup of coffee. See, it's not big stuff. Sometimes it's little stuff. But it's stepping out of our agenda like the Good Samaritan did and giving that person a moment or three to do that. Third thing, as I said, was provision. Helping people with ordinary and extraordinary needs according to your means. The circumstances of the day sometimes dictate what that means. For George Miller, sometimes pronounced Mueller, and Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century, that meant opening orphanages to meet the need of the day. There were so many orphans in England And these men, these godly men, both uh, formed these orphanages to care for the least of these. We see that taking place in Africa right now. There's a lot of the pastors you hear about. Part of what their ministry is is an orphanage, precisely because of the wars and the disease and everything else. There's all these children who don't have parents, and someone's got to care for them. It's the pastors that do a lot of times. They provide for the needs of these children. I'm reminded of Proverbs 19. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he'll repay him for his deed. You know, some of you you I know have used Kiva, those those little micro-loans. You're lending not just to the poor, but in a sense to the Lord. Because you're enabling someone to do something they could not do for themselves. And listen to that promise. He will repay him for his deed. Sometimes we think of when we help somebody else that that's money that's gone. And sometimes we live in fear of that. Particularly the the fear of, oh, what if I get ripped off? What if this person is not being sincere? And, you know, hey, been ripped off, been taken advantage of, happens. But you know what God cares about? Not whether or not you get ripped off, but what your heart is when you meet that person. He cares, he's going to hold that person accountable for their misrepresentation and their, their chicanery. He'll deal with them. But what he wants from you is a heart that meets that need with compassion because you can't see into the heart of that person. That's what God's really concerned about. Not testing by ways and means. You're not the government. <laughs> so sometimes it's just as simple as, you know what, I can't give you 10 bucks, but I can take you out, buy you some food. There's a restaurant right there. Let's walk over to it. That kind of thing. So, you know, be wise, but also be careful of your heart. Just as pride can keep us from you know, making our needs known so fear can keep us from helping others with their needs. And part of how God allays that fear, I feel like very mellow today, um, but God allays it with that promise. Just don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. It's all going to pan out in the end. So what opportunities are present to you that you have the ability to meet? Thought of a few things. 
Some of these things I've done. Some I haven't. Buying groceries. Like I've told you this one story when I was still working in Boston, I think. Um, no, I was working for Xerox. But I overheard people I didn't know in church. And they're talking, and, and one woman was, was laying out her heart to another woman, not thinking that someone like me was listening. There wasn't enough food. And so I told girlfriend number four, okay, what was going on. And so the two of us went shopping, looked them up in the directory, found their address, and brought the food to their home. That was God meeting their need. I just happened to be an instrument in that. That's all I was. It can be as simple as buying groceries, as providing meals, um, paying a bill that you know they can't pay by themselves. Our deacons do, a, do this some, at times with the deacons fund. Uh, you know, pretty soon we're going to be uh, filling up backpacks for underprivileged kids to prepare them for school. That's meeting a need according to your means. Sometimes it's making a connection. You know a guy who needs a job, and you know a guy who works that industry. Hey, let me put the two of you together. See what happens. So it can, it can take all kinds of things. It doesn't mean that you're forking over thousands and thousands of dollars or years of your life. You never know. So our God is compassionate. Our God is kind. And he has revealed this in saving undeserving sinners. And he then comforts them in their affliction and provides for our needs like a good father does. Even better, by the work of the Holy Spirit, he's at work to make us compassionate and kind to bring himself greater glory. He works through us to make salvation known to sinners he works through us to bring comfort to the afflicted, and He works through us to provide for the needy. And these are great and glorious things meant for ordinary Christians like you and me, not for the spiritually elite, ordinary people like us. And so are, are you making your needs known to Christ and to His people? Are you available to display His compassion and kindness to others? Or in other words, are you both seeking grace and offering grace? Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for um, the many ways in which You have been merciful uh, compassionate and kind toward me. I see that in not just my salvation, but also the way in which you have um, comforted me in the midst of affliction and provided for me in times when I could not. The stories that Amy and I could tell of your goodness and kindness and compassion. And Lord, help us to... Uh, Recognize our place in all of this, that you are the important one. You are the one who wants to bless your people and wants to bless through your people. So help us to come to you as the needy people we are that you all also use to help other needy people. 
And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.